Hello, listeners. Welcome back on the Founders Club podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Michael J. Timms. He's the founder of EdTech Evaluation, a consultancy focused on helping to enhance the effectiveness of educational technology products and assist education systems adopting new learning technologies. Dr. Timms was formerly Director of Research Development and Quality Assurance at Australian Council for Educational Research, where he was responsible for supporting the education research conducted across all research divisions. Before that, he was the Director of the Assessment and Psychometric Research Division for six years, where he led a division of around 70 staff. Dr. Tim's particular research interest is in the application of educational measurement in intelligent learning systems. He, was, he has led many projects focused on the use of innovative computer-based assessments to tap into students' knowledge and abilities in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Also, he has a PhD in quantitative methods in education released from the University of Berkeley in California. Please enjoy this wide-range conversation with Dr. Michael J. Timms. Hello, Mike. How are you, first of all? And uh, how's the situation on your side? Oh, hi, Giorgio. I, I'm good, thank you. Um, and I just wanted to start out saying as well that um, in these times, I just wanted to extend my best wishes to anyone whose um, health or economic situation is impacted at the moment. I know these are very difficult times for people and also, just wanted to extend thanks to everyone in the healthcare sector for what they're doing at the moment. Yeah, so um, say that. exactly. They're doing an amazing job. Okay, so let's start our interview. First of all, as I said before, thank you for joining the Founders Club podcast. And uh, to give a little bit of context to people who are going to listen to uh, this interview, can you give a little bit of background on what you do and who you are? Yeah, um, so I'm Mike Timms. I'm the director of an education technology evaluation consulting company um, that I formed, which is just me at the moment. Um, it's focused on education technology, and I'm really trying to do two things. Um, I'm supporting education technology companies who want to improve their products or their um, market penetration by it paying more attention to educational research in their products. And then on the other side of the coin, I'm trying to help education systems who have to make decisions about uh, which of the education technology products out there are the best fit for their needs. So I'm trying to serve both sides of the education technology market. Right. Uh, I guess we'll have a, a very interesting conversation because uh, we are approaching this conversation from two different sides. You coming from research and academic, I'm coming from a more practical level, which is related to education, building software and uh, stuff and, and, and uh, 
technology to support uh, educators and education in general. And I think this uh, conversation will be really fruitful for our listeners. And the question I want to follow up with, uh, now we live in a, a time of uh, very, there has been, we have been all impacted because of the pandemic that, that is going on right now. And it affected not only uh, the economy, our social life, but uh, also the education system worldwide. So I want to start with the question, what is the state of education nowadays and what is the role that technology plays right now right, in, this, uh, in this sector? Yes, I, the challenge for education systems has been that although many of them are using educational technology in some way or other uh, before the um, virus outbreak, um, they've just had to rapidly scale that up if they wanted to continue offering education to their students. And from what I can see from stories I hear from colleagues and friends, um, I haven't heard of any system that was really ready to do that at scale. And um, I think the sort of challenges that... Um, the education systems have been struggling with is that um, they firstly they didn't have uh, systems in place that would be able to scale um, to delivery at home very rapidly. So they've been. I, I know from the education technology companies that I talk to that they've seen great interest in their products. Um, over the last few weeks and um, they've been scrambling to try and provide services um, but I also know from stories I've heard about people with kids at home um, how you know they've got kids and from one teacher one teacher's using one platform and then other teachers using a different platform and they want the students to send their homework in in one way and the other teachers want it in another way. So there's not even coordination within one school as to what technologies they're using. And then the other thing um, is that teachers generally have not been trained to do online education. And some of them are better at it than others because they, they have figured things out or are more technology savvy. So I've heard stories of the, the kind of misbehaviors that happen in real classrooms, like kids poking each other or taunting each other, um, has been going on online through uh, teachers who didn't know how to use the technology. So I've heard of like one male student muting a female student while they were trying to talk because the teacher didn't know that they could control the the muting of different um, users. So I think it's been a, a time of stress and challenge for teachers and students alike. Right, so uh, currently I'm seeing something interesting going on on the internet, such as there was this question, uh, which I found it funny, but at the same time really, really uh, makes you think. And the question was like, who is driving the digital innovation in your company now? 
And those are like three options, your CEO, your CTO or COVID-19. And I guess, and I guess, <laughs> and I guess the situation yeah. uh, right now for many schools is that they have not, they are not ready. They didn't prepare for this and they didn't see it coming. And now they face, uh, they have to face uh, a really, really difficult transition that usually would take one year or two years in just a few weeks. And uh, the, the, the adoption, it's, it's, really, it's really slow from the teacher side, from the school's manager and so on and so forth. Yes, um, I, I think the other aspect of this that we forget about sometimes is that the students aren't used to working and learning online. Um, some years ago, when, um, in, when I was in the US, I did an evaluation for the University of California, who were um, in the early days of online education, were trying to provide online courses to students who were in more remote areas or where uh, they didn't have a teacher for the subject. And um, a colleague and I found that students varied in their preparedness for being an online learner. And also they sort of needed someone on site with them to help them navigate and, and just sort of keep them motivated and that. And I think what's happening at the moment is parents may be filling that kind of role um, in families where they're fortunate to have parents who are able to, to do that for them. But at the same time, at the moment, those parents are now trying to work from home at the same time. And I, I think, you know, preparedness of the learners to learn from online um, sources is something that we haven't done very much about in the past either. You mentioned rightly that ed tech products need to solve a problem that is a pain point for uh, their target users or uh, clients. And I wanted to ask, what are the most urgent problems that are present in education, but ed tech uh, entrepreneurs or products are not solving them? Uh, or they are not pro or those pro problems are not properly addressed yeah i think the thing that teachers most need is more time um, they're often very stretched for time and any product that can help to do something that a teacher might have to do um, often in their own time like marking student work um, or you know preparing lessons anything that can cut down that kind of um, extra time that teachers are having to spend would be really welcome by teachers so um, it's more related to mechanical yeah. task that can be uh, automated by technology yeah i i think that um if people are building learning systems um, that require extra effort by the teacher, I think that would be a bad thing because that's just adding to the pain point. Um, if products 
can, for example, um, assess how a student is doing and report that back both to the learner and to the teacher in ways that are useful as well. Um, so that a teacher doesn't have to think, oh, you know, there's a report that's on the screen there, you know, how do I interpret it? Um, the more a report can go to saying, hey, Mike, you know, there's a group of five students here who don't seem to be understanding this concept. Um, the rest of the class are fine, um, but those five students, if you could pull them aside and give them a little bit of extra tuition, um, that would keep them up with their learning. Um, so that kind of thing where it, um, experienced teachers um, learn over time how to differentiate their instruction, that's to give um, learning tasks um, possibly differently to different groups of learners um, or um, give it in different ways or at different times, you know, different um, pace of learning. So products that help to differentiate instruction that sometimes is called, you know, individualized learning. Those kinds of products help someone who particularly, uh, you know, a, a more uh, younger teacher or someone who's newer to teaching um, would enable them to act more like an experienced teacher. So I think the technology can work with the teacher to manage um, that kind of differentiated instruction. So we're going back to teaching and learning, which are two uh, very complex human interactions and everybody has its own method or methodology to learn some some people are more some students are more visual some more kinesthetic and so on and so forth and the same each teacher has its own uh, uh, way of teaching uh, so according to the latest uh, relevant research and findings what does work uh, for whom and in what situations? Yeah, I think you, you made a good point there about the differences between learners. Um, I was part of a, uh, an Australian Centre, the Science of uh, Learning Research Centre, that brought together uh, educational neuroscience people, cognitive psychology people, education people um, to try and take a cross-disciplinary look at um, learning and one of the things that really comes out from the um, educational neuroscience side is that although our brains all operate in roughly the same way there are differences individual differences um, at, at a brain-based level of um, how well our brains function at different tasks and um, those kinds of things um, might be exe executive functions like um, people might differ in their ability to shut out distractions and focus 
uh, on a task at hand. Um, they might differ in things like their ability to hold um, information in short-term working memory. And so they're not able when they're problem solving to sort of hold the facts that they just saw in the previous slide to the next one. Or they might differ in something like cognitive flexibility. That's the ability to hold more than one idea and sort of think about and compare two things at the same time. So if you knew what those kinds of individual differences were, um, you might design the instructional sequence or the way that the instruction is delivered differently for different people. So that I, I think is um, something that's a current sort of trend in education is trying to sort out those kinds of differences and figure out how can we individualize instruction. Um, the other thing, um, through designing educational technology applications over the last few decades, um, people in the artificial intelligence in education community have learned more about learning um, because things that they tried at the beginning um, didn't work ac well across all students. And so as time went on, those systems um, started to look at things like, well, what, what's the role of emotion in learning? You know, if I could sense uh, the emotional state of a learner, would it help me to know whether they're struggling, whether they're frustrated, are they annoyed, are they happy? Uh, and what does that mean for learning? And there were some interesting findings from that, that um, a certain level of frustration is not a bad thing. Um, you can get frustrated when, and you're still learning, but it can build to a point where you're so frustrated that you just give up. So obviously too much frustration is a bad thing, but a little bit of frustration is just a part of the learning process. So through education technologies, designing of systems and working with learners and gathering data, um, you know, cognitive psychologists and um, learning sciences, people have been able to get a better picture of how learners learn, particularly in an online learning in environment. It's really interesting that you stress this point of we have to get a little bit frustrated when we learn new things, but it has to be within certain limits because if we overdo this, then uh, we may not be able to perform or to actually learn. And uh, But I guess the challenge will be how do you measure the right amount of frustration or uncomfortability? in order yeah. to increase so that's i guess is one of the challenges isn't it yeah. when when you deal with emotions especially because it's so hard to measure like how do you measure emotions <laughs> yeah well um facial recognition um actually can do that um there are researchers who have um used facial recognition combined with frameworks that were developed 
um, by other learning science people that uh, about how to interpret emotion and then what researchers have done because it's not necessarily convenient to be monitoring the facial expression of a learner all the time um, they they developed their learning systems they used cameras and facial recognition interpretations and that to study what the emotions were as people were learning they could see from the log files those people who were learning and at the points you know where they suddenly got it um, and found out what their emotional state was and so um, they're able to then infer from people's actions you know they could correlate from the actions that they saw in the log files what the likely emotional state of the learner was so then they could um, you know they might give a different kind of help message to a learner who they thought was really frustrated to one that was just mildly frustrated so it goes to going uh, kind of personalized feedback uh, at this point, if some students are more frustrated than others, I guess. Yeah. What is the role of artificial intelligence in education? Is it seeking to replace the teacher in the class, in the class, or is it a tool to supplement and empower the teacher? Well, um, I think the point that we're at is that most systems are trying to support history though of artificial intelligence and education is quite interesting because I think in the early days um, people thought that they could develop systems that worked independently of the teacher and they would just work with the student and optimize the learning for that learner and that the teacher was just somewhere else doing something else um, but it became apparent as I was discussing earlier, that things are not as straightforward as you think in terms of tutoring um, and that there are social and emotional aspects to learning um, and that learning from a computer, just a computer, um, is not the most optimal way of learning. And I think in recent times, artificial intelligence and education researchers are really trying to build systems that support teachers um, so students might be working with them independently working with the system independently for a while but that the teacher um, can see what the student is doing um, in the system and the teacher is getting reports from the system some systems actually flag to the teacher you know Mike's having a problem you might want to go over and see Mike um, and other systems do what I was talking about earlier um, differentiating instruction and um, recommending groups of students and um, ways that the teacher might maximize the learning for the learners so I, I think that's more the current state is that they're things that the teachers use rather than things that are separate from the teacher.
So it's not a way to uh, replace the teachers, but it's a way to extend and empower what they're currently doing to some degree. Yeah, exactly. Um, for example, many teachers um, like to work with students in small groups. And so they'll set some tasks to the students and they've got maybe five or six groups working independently and the teachers wandering around um, you know, but that she might only be able to be with group one for 10 minutes and then group two for another 10 minutes um, i think education technology can help to monitor what's going on in those groups um, so it sort of extends her ability to work the students in small groups, um, sort of multiplying the teacher by using technology. So we, we also talk about um, technology should increase the level of personalization uh, in learning. There's, there has been a lot of technology developed in, uh, in uh, recent years and it seems like we didn't reach this goal, or have we? No, one, um, there are some studies, um, uh, you know, quite old studies that looked at um, what are the most effective ways of learning something and the most effective way is one-on-one -on -one tutoring with a tutor who is experienced and um, knows their subject and knows how to get you to learn it. Um, so what early systems were hoping to do was to replicate that. Um, and they found that the learning improved by two standard deviations um, from the normal curve. And that was the sort of the target was this two sigma uh, goal that early systems were trying to achieve. And that's why they built them as one-on-one -on -one systems. Um, but they rarely um, could achieve that kind of um, effect, uh, the same effect that a human had. And that's when people started thinking like, well, why is that? What, what is it about humans? Uh, you know, learning from each other that is different from a human learning from a computer. Um, and you know, people started to think about, well, what does that mean for um, how the system responds to a learner who's struggling? You know, what, what should, when should I intervene? And when I do intervene, what should I say to the student? Um, and that it turns out that those kinds of things depend on things like, well, how much did the student know about this subject in general before they started? Um, you might give some different help if they were more knowledgeable at the beginning. Um, they um, found things like, you know, students like to have control over the pace of their learning. Um, so giving them some agency in their learning as well. Um, so there, there's a whole host of ways of personalizing the learning. Um, I, I think as well, a big 
breakthrough was um, natural language processing. We're getting to the point where the uh, verbal natural language processing capabilities of systems allow a more human-like interaction. Whereas up until recently, um, mostly it was, um, you know, the actions that a student took by typing something in or making a selection on screen, it wasn't able to understand me trying to explain, you know, Newton's first law to the computer. It was all of the audio would come one way just from the from the system to the learner. Um, now we are able to understand learners more. Um, I think we might get to the point where we can have a more natural dialogue going between the education technology product and the learner that would feel more human-like. And that might help to individualize instruction even more. Yes, exactly. Because um, what strikes me is that um, there is like big tech companies in different kind of areas, e-commerce, you can see Amazon in uh, in the Western world and Taobao with other Chinese in, in Asia, for instance. You can see uh, Google for search in all these big companies. It's like uh, one winner takes all in different domains. But there is no one in education that captures all the market or is the, is the leading fig figures as a company that you look at. And, and my, my, from my assumption, my understanding is that education is such a complex with, with different layers of complexities uh, area that there will not be anytime soon uh, a player and a wins all uh, candidate. And also there is very slow uh, network effects when it comes to uh, build a product that can capture all the market. And, and therefore what we end up with, it's a lot of uh, medium and small players that build different solutions for different learning tasks or learning uh, subjects and so on and so forth. Um, so I, what I guess, I guess what I want to ask is what is ahead for educators and uh, education? What should we expect and what is, in, what is coming up next? Yeah, I think it's an exciting time. I think what you were describing there is like, we're still in the early stages of educational technology and the application of AI and machine learning to education. Um, so there's a lot of smaller companies and um, quite small, you know, startups who are trying to tackle problems in different ways. And I think um, we will see um, much more increase in personalized learning. Um, I think that um, one of the outcomes of the current crisis will be that schools might have a greater interest in um, educational technology and 
how students um, can learn using EdTech products. Um, I, I think as well um, that there'll be more products that are designed to help the teacher um, in supporting both the learning in the classroom and all the other tasks that teachers have to do outside of the classroom, like um, timetabling a whole school, for example. Um, and the other thing as well, um, there's a lot of interest at the moment in um, the kind of skills that have been called like 21st century skills, the skills that people use in their daily life, particularly when they enter the workforce, um, but also you might use as a uh, student when you're younger, um, things like um, your problem-solving abilities, your ability to work with others in teams, um, your communication skills. Um, those kinds of skills underpin all of the subject areas that students engage with in their academic learning. Um, but there is not much around at the moment to help track how learners build those skills um, good teachers try and include that, but there's often no way of knowing whether my team building, uh, my team work is improving or not. Um, so I think there will be applications of education technology to try and measure some of those hard to measure skills as well. Um, that's very interesting. Times are, are coming ahead uh, and I think I think that uh, this situation that we are right now will will not do other other than how can I say this uh, will accelerate the the pace uh, and the adoption of new technology, and I think it will be hard to go back to the old ways that we we were used to. And I think many schools that haven't realized this, they will do or any kind of institutional institution, education institutions, either private or public, they they will come face to face with this reality. And uh, yeah, and I, I liked your um, comment near the beginning about like what's driving your adoption of technology at the moment, um, and. The, the difference between a company and a school is that many schools um, they don't have you know they don't have a CTO um, or a chief information officer um, they're often relying on uh, an expert that may be in a district office uh, serving multiple schools and so that's why they sort of don't have um, strong implementation plans for technology. And I think this situation might make them think, oh, we really need a, a comprehensive plan uh, that, that ties together all of the things that we're trying to do. Um, because the problem at the moment is there are so many products out there that a school could select and they often just rely on, oh, you know, my colleague down the road who teaches at 
such and such a school told me, you know, they've been using it and they thought it was great. Well, it might be great for them, but maybe they're, they're, the system that they're using it with is different to your system. Um, so it might not be great for me. So I, I think there needs to be a more organized analysis of um, what is a school trying to achieve with technology. Right. So beyond having, beside having an organized analysis, you need to have some people in your team that can help you drive this uh, adoption and uh, and guide whoever is in charge, guide the CEO or the, the director of yeah. studies and so on and so forth. And that's missing actually in uh, yeah. in many schools and many education institutions. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike, um, how can my listeners find more about what you do and where, how they can reach to you directly? Um, well, I have a website. It's um, www.edtechevaluation.com.au and um, my email is miketims at edtechevaluation.com .au. Um, there's a, a email request form at the bottom of my web page. So if you search for EdTech Evaluation um, online, you should find me. Uh, Mike Timms, this was a great uh, interview. Thank you for joining the Founders Club podcast. Oh, it was a pleasure talking with you, Giorgio. Thank you. Bye-bye.